So I appreciate the time. Obviously, want to talk about the new album and talk maybe a little Megadeth and A and A and some some coffee maybe too. But uh, sure, certainly having some fun with this uh, this no cover covers album. And I'm kind of curious, was this almost like fantasy football draft for you? Like, I want to do this song with this dude and like break down like the song selection. I know you and Tom are kind of bouncing uh, ideas and, and selections off of each other, right? It's about the song. At the end of the day, um, this was not even intended to be an all-star record at all. It was just my band, which is me and Tom, our guitar player Andy, and our drummer Paolo over in Italy. And just us, you know, picking tunes to do as a, a really kind of a stopgate because we were originally planning to put out the next Ellison solo LP in October. And by the time June came around, I had just come home from Nashville with Dirk. We had went, we went down there to cut the drum and bass tracks for the new Megadeth record. And so obviously my, my studio ears were on, you know, I, I, my chops were up and I was, you know, I was, I, I came home and I'm like, wait a minute, I still want to keep recording, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I got on the phone with Tom and, and we just looked at it and said, look, it's no reason to hurry our, this next record and try to push it out this year. It, you know, this year's, a, it's gone, you know? So uh, with touring and everything with COVID. So that's, that's where this started from. And, you know, a couple of phone conversations, we had a dozen songs picked out. A couple more conversations, we had 18 songs picked out. And, you know, we thought, heck, as long as we're going this far, let's just make it a double disc and go all the way and put them all on there. And now you got no cover. Love the bass tone, that signature bass tone for you and the riff in the beginning of, of We Does In, the, uh, the Cheap Trick cover. But I would have never guessed in a million years that Uncle Al was a Cheap Trick fan. But I guess it's Chicago thing, right? Is that what ties it? Hey, hi. It's exactly what it is. I know it's funny, you know, Tom and I were talking, because, you know, it's funny, earlier this year, we, we started doing, for my David Ellison Youth Music Foundation, we started doing some free music lessons, an initiative we called Schools Out. Cisco gave us a nice grant of equipment and some of their WebEx platform to, you know, get a bunch of our friends. And I called Chris Kale from Five Finger and Nita Strauss from Alice Cooper and, you know, Charlie Benante. I mean, we just kind of called everybody to, to participate. And we started doing these live streams called Say Can You stream and that really pulled us all together as as a rock and roll community so by june when it came time to start cutting this record you know tom and i you know started saying he goes you know why don't we have jason mcmaster sing on this and you know i just talked to charlie benante today and he's sitting around trying to figure out how to make an anthrax record and i asked him if he wanted to cut a couple tracks and you know so i hit dave lombardo and said hey dude you want to cut riffraff real quick you know and that's really how all the guests came in and you know they're already on our speed dial from our live streams we've been doing earlier in the year and you know the idea for al jorgensen came up and and i had just seen al come to phoenix here on a ministry tour in 2019 and i've been friends with him for a decade and Anyway, and we hit him up about uh, Peter Zane. And of course, yeah, it's it's the Chicago contingent, right? You know, and so we got Charlie Benante, who now lives in Chicago. Al Jorgensen, who's native of Chicago, doing Cheap Trick, who's, you know, Rockford, Illinois, the, you know, the heroes of Illinois. And it just fell together, man. It was so cool. In fact, I think one of our biggest coups with that was that Rick Nielsen actually shared our video on his Instagram. And, uh... Last night, we did a live stream with Dax Nielsen, who is Rick's son, who is now the drummer in Cheap Trick. And so to get the resounding sort of thumbs up from the author of the song, <laughs> you know, I think I think that's as much of the fun of this thing as, as anything. Yeah, that is so cool. And and I mean, so many songs to talk about, but I certainly wanted to bring up as well the priest cover and free will burning. And I was doing the math. Wasn't it just a about a year ago when you did the uh, mega priest, the jam with KK and Ripper? Wasn't that about a year ago? 
It was exactly a year ago. It's funny. My social media started pinging me this week. You know how they give you the, you know, one year ago. You right. Were playing with KK Downing. <laughs> I was getting those. And it was just KK's birthday last week. And, you know, that's part of it is, you know, as I, you know, I know Brian May. And I thought, you know, okay, so they're going to hear sheer heart attack. Uh, Randy Bachman, I actually played with him at NAM I don't know, 12 years ago or something. We jammed a couple tunes together. And, and so I was thinking, okay, Randy will probably hear this. Uh, I know his son, Tal Bachman was a big fan and you know so and, and, and same with cheap trick and all these guys so beautiful and kk is like i on email I'll just send him free will burning you know so it's uh, <laughs> like i knew these guys were going to hear these tunes so there's a big part of me that is like not only did i want them to sound great because my name's on the door as you know the ellison band but i also want my heroes to look fondly on this and go you know what bud Good job on that. That was nice. Thank you for the shout out. And did you get did you actually play Free Will Burning? Was that in the set that you played with KK? It, no, it's funny. It wasn't. You know, what's funny with that show is we played. I said, look, if Wes Banks is there, let's just do Unleashed in the East, top to bottom, and then I can just <laughs> die and go to Headbanger Heaven, and I'm good. You know. But then you know, with Ripper there, he wanted to do you know one of his tracks when he was in the band, and then um, we played. Um, God, I forgot if it was like Beyond the Realms of Death. There was there. It wasn't. It wasn't that. But there was some other song off of um, Hellbent for Leather that Judas Priest had never ever played live before. And KK really wanted to play it. He had the solo, and I assume he probably wrote most of it. So there was these moments in that set we did, you know, and then we did, you know, Between the Hammer and the Anvil from uh, Painkiller. So it was a really cool set list. And we opened with Riding on the Wind. And, you know, what hit me is, you know, Priest has always had amazing drummers. And kind of like in Megadeth, we have a lot of <laughs> signature bass licks and songs start with bass intros and stuff. Judas Priest, they start songs with drum films, you know, like Riding on the Wind, Painkiller, pain you know, yeah. and Scott Travis joined the band, you know. And, you know, Exciter, they've got the big double bass thing. So, you know, Priest is one of those bands that if you're going to cover that, you got to step up. And, you know, for us to have Dave McClain, Dave is just, he really is, I think, out of all the guys I played with, I mean, he is at the top of the heat, man. He is one of the greatest heavy metal drummers out there, period. Fellow uh, Arizonian with you, too, isn't he? Well, he was. You know, a funny thing is, I, on our live stream, we had him on last night with me and Tom and Dax, and he just moved to uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oh. So um, we've got some tour dates coming up. We've got five shows we're going to do next week uh, across the Midwest. So we've invited him down to, uh, you know, to jam with us. In fact, on Sunday the 22nd, we're putting together what's going to be a, a live stream at a studio in Madison, Wisconsin. It technically is not on our tour dates schedule so it was, a, it was a day that we had available and we're going to actually do a live stream sort of a record release party and kind of putting the guest list together around that so uh stay tuned for more details on that as we push that out awesome yeah i can't wait to spread the word on that and a few more tunes i wanted to kind of point out and go over with you loved 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 seeing mark slaughter's name on there and knew he would kill the the fast way and say what you will what a great riff but also wanted to r.i.p pete way a little bit who i imagine was a big bass influence on you yeah you know there were two people that passed one was Pete Way and the other was Steve Priest from Sweet um, who I think passed either in May or early June something like that and and I got a chance to meet Steve Priest his wife was our publicist with Capitol Records back in the early 90s so oh, she worked wow. a lot of our Megadeth records like Countdown to Extinction and Euthanasia and stuff and you know meeting Steve you know Sweet was one of the first real great hard rock bands I heard on the radio you know Sweet, Kiss, Stick all that kind of stuff you know yeah you're years later you know, the UFO Strangers in the Night record. I mean, just an iconic disc. And, and when I first moved to L.A., in 1983, a few days later, I meet Dave Mustaine. We start Megadeth. And that Fastweight song was all over the radio. And, 
you know, so Fast Eddie Clark from previously of Motorhead at that point. And the original idea was that it was going to be Fast Eddie and Pete Way, hence Fast Way. Right. I didn't know for many years that it actually was not Pete Way who played on that record. It was actually somebody else. And, and once I read Pete Way's book uh, last year, I got kind of the backstory of how his contract with Chrysalis Records wouldn't allow him to move forward and do another. You know, they basically get him under contract for a solo record, so he couldn't do this collaboration with Fast Eddie Clark. So, uh, you know, interesting story. You know, you kind of get this historical rock and roll backstory all these years later. Huh, very interesting. And well, speaking of bass players and, and someone that we lost and someone who I'm sure you had a ton of interaction with over the years, but R.A.P. Lemmy and, and the Love Me Like a Reptile cover. Any any good uh, Lemmy stories that come to mind? Well, you know, it's funny with that song. So I called my friend Greg Handabit, and he and I grew up together. You know, we met in the high school, in, in the school hallway, I think literally in like fifth grade over like a discussion of Kiss, right? Like <laughs> I had a Kiss t-shirt on or something. You know, it's like lifelong friends over Kiss. I mean, that's basically Mike, that's why you and me are on the phone, right? Exactly. You know, you and, you and me have been talking for years, and it's always about rock and roll, you know? Exactly. And um, I called Greg up. He actually moved to L.A. with me and played with me and Dave, and it was his idea to call the band Megadeth. So he's not only one of my childhood lifelong friends, but, you know, he's actually a founding member, if you will, um, of Megadeth. You know, he never recorded with us, and he never toured or anything, so it was just for a couple of months in the summer of 83. But he and I used to play Love Me Like a Rep in our cover bands growing up and so that's why I called him I said Greg <laughs> you gotta sing and play guitar on this track and, and I said Tom's gonna sing on it and we got Doro involved I wanted to hear a female vocal on Sheer Heart Attack so we got Doro involved and we had just you know just recently connected with Doro last year I saw her in Germany when I was over there doing a solo tour and then she joined us on the Mega Cruise back in October uh, a year ago and Tom and Doro sang God Gave Rock and Roll to You the Kiss because I put together a big Kiss jam as kind of the all-star jam on the on the Mega Cruise. It's so funny that you know how you know worlds meet again after all these years, you know. And so Dora, we hit Dora. We said, "Hey, listen, you know, would you throw us a vocal on a on a Motorhead song?" And she asked us, "Which one? How about Love Me Like a Reptile?" She and she loved it. Which I think in this <laughs> day and age, where people get you know kind of uptight about this stuff, to have a have a chick. Right. They love me like a reptile. I mean, that's so freaking metal, man. I just love it, you know? <laughs> I love it, too. And I love this entire album. And you had mentioned live shows. And, God, I'm going through concert withdrawals. Take me through. I, and I saw some footage of you playing in Mexico. But, man, to be able to do live shows in 2020. Did you ever do the math on how long of a layoff it was for you at the beginning of the pandemic when there were no shows going on? You know, back in the 90s, you know, we would take... You know, we'd put a Megadeth record, for instance, right? We, we would take up to a year. You know, like Cryptic Writings took about a year to write it, record it, and, you know, before it finally came out. Maybe even longer, maybe even a year and a half. You know, so there were some, some big breaks in between the tours, but the band was always active. We were composing, recording, etc. You know, so Megadeth, we finished with Five Finger Death Punch over in Europe in February and, you know, then everything shut down. And, but I gotta be honest with you, doing this, this Ellison records, um, you know, and, and even, you know, everything else, you know, even working on the Megadeth record in Nashville this year, etc. You know, it, it's kept me musically engaged. I mean, I, I don't feel like there's 
any shutdown of my life at all. In fact, <laughs> I feel probably busier, more productive, more creative, and more collaborative than I've ever been in my life. And I'm 55 years old, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm not like the young kid just getting going here, you know? So it, to me, it's like life is getting better, getting wider, it's getting broader. And, and I just love all of our friendships and our collaborations over the years that, that were connected. And you know, quite honestly, look, the pandemic, I think probably created more creative collaborations uh, than ever before, just because we're home, we're available, and people want to work and they want to they want to be making music together. Yeah, that's true. No one can say I'm too busy on the road or I can't get connected, especially in technology in this day and age. But wanted to talk a little bit of Megadeth, and uh, you're done with the album. Your parts are done, but where is the album as a whole? We're going to wait till probably 2021 till we hear any new Megadeth. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean the uh, yeah, still just you know doing overdubs. I remember when we we shut down, you know, pretty much at the end of 2017, we wrapped up in uh, Argentina, and then from there we just set the intention in 2018 to start writing. And we were, we went to Europe for a couple of months and did festivals and stuff. And you know, even last year we had a pretty big year. Um, we were supposed to do the Ozzy tour, and then you know Ozzy had to cancel that and then you know Dave Mustaine had his throat cancer treatments last year so our whole our whole calendar is just wiped clean um, but we got a couple of months of some really good writing and pre-production work done last year and and you know so we just carried that into you know to this year and you know really this year was the year to, to get the record recorded you know all of our touring has been pushed back we just kind of took everything and moved it back 12 months you know just middle of 2021 uh, is the intention to start up you know kind of a you know maybe a blessing is is you know we should have you know certainly some new music if not the whole new record you know in in place and and be ready to drop some new music around the touring and of course that just gets everybody excited and you know kind of keeps keeps the whole train rolling for the next few years and how was it breaking uh dirk in, into the megadeth recording camp and your first time getting to make an album with him you know dirk's so great he first of all he's such a he's such a sweet chill guy you know his chops are amazing and you know, he can play anything you throw at him you know he's an educated musician so he can write his charts and you know write things out and and he takes his time to really learn things properly so that when you when you hit the red button and record him he's kind of a first take guy you know he just gets it the first time and, and so is Kiko you know Kiko is the same guy you know his musicianship you know as complex as Megadeth music is you know Kiko and Dirk I think can play above Megadeth, which is good. You know, it's kind of like if you want to be a, a long distance runner and you're doing the 10 mile, you should probably be able to run 20, you know? <laughs> and I, and I think, I feel like that's how everybody in Megadeth is. We, I mean, in this new record, let me tell you something, it, it has got some of the most complex stuff on it. You know, Dave and I were, were saying, it's like, there's stuff on here that's more complex than the Megadeth stuff of the past, like, wow. you know, rust in peace, which is kind of the benchmark, you know, cause here, right here, right, we're, we're just going to do that. Like those riffs are way, harder than Rust in Peace stuff, you know? And, and look, at the time, I was 25 recording Rust in Peace, so I think at the time, like, that was... At, you know that was at the top level of my my capabilities probably for Dave too you know but you know now we've made a lot more records we've explored you know more and and uh, but to really step on the gas and push it to the limit and really take it right to the wall it pushed all of us all four of us were really at maximum capacity on this record which you know that's what you want you want to leave it all on the studio floor you know and walk out just drained of everything you've got well I hope that there's a, there's at least a song if not four or five where, where the there's some signature David Elfson bass and, and you and Dirk just having a little groove for a moment or two. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, man, there were moments 
when we were playing together, you can really hear it because it's just me and Dirk and you kind of pull the guitars back so you can really, you know, feel what yeah. Dirk and I are doing. You know, there's moments, like I'm a Rush fan, of course, so growing up and there's these Getty, Lee, Neil Peart moments that were just, you know, insane. I mean, just like there was nothing that could equal that. That's how great they were. And I feel like on the new Megadeth record, me and Dirk have those same moments. It's Megadeth. It's not Rush, obviously, but <laughs> in, in the field of what we do, there were these moments that I was just going, oh my God, this was like me as a kid going, this is my Getty Neil moment right here. <laughs> you know, and, and sitting back, you know, we sat in one of the rooms in the studio um, and sat down and listened down to all the tracks before, you know, Dirk and I went home and before we, you know, started tearing, you know, the drum kit and all the bass amps apart and, you know, disassembling the, the recording setup and, and just, just to make sure we got it and make sure we had it. And, you know, we sat back and listened and man, me and Dave and Dirk, we were just like going, holy heck, man, that is just, <laughs> that, that, that's just scorching. I mean, so friggin', you can see the, the fire burning off of the, off the frickin' Pro Tools, you know what I mean? It was just so good. So I don't want to keep boasting about it because I hate to let you down, you know, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 in the room, in the moment, it was pretty spectacular, man. So it's, I, think you, I think you'll be excited. I'm definitely excited, definitely looking forward to it. And wanted to go back for a second, something you had kind of touched on about Rust in Peace and being 25. And I was listening to that that album this week in anticipation of talking to you, of course, and was kind of curious. There's a lot of bass-driven songs on that album. And I wondered if that was kind of a product out of it, you being you and Dave doing most of the writing as uh, Nick and, and Marty kind of came in late in the recording process, right? So I imagine it was just you and Dave kind of writing that album. Yeah, I mean, we really started writing that back in mid-1988. In fact, there's a demo that I found uh, in my storage unit that had, it was Holy Wars uh, with Chuck Beeler. And in fact, we actually put wow. that version on the Megadeth, on the War Chest, that War Chest compilation. And I don't know that it's noted on there that it's Chuck. I think that was an oversight. But so just know the fans, any of the listeners, that on Megadeth War Chest, there is a demo version of Holy Wars. And that was from December 1988. We went in the studio we went into Ego Studios in North Hollywood and we cut Holy Wars and what would become Tornado of Souls and Polaris. And I think Polaris, it wasn't called Rust in Peace Polaris because Dave actually saw that, I think it was a bumper sticker that said, may all your weapons rust and your nuclear weapons rust in peace. I don't think he saw that until like late 89, so that kind of got added as a title. But Polaris was done in 1980, yeah, like so December 1988, and, and Tornado of Souls, the music was done. I mean, it, uh, there's always back to it, the arrangement's complete as, as we put it on Rust in Peace. It's just that the lyric wasn't there yet. The lyric didn't come to that track until literally we had already tracked it and i think dave came up with that lyric like in early i think like march or april 1990 like literally wrote it went in and it sang it <laughs> right there <laughs> so funny you think we'd go in the studio with like not a complete idea but sometimes you do you know sometimes you've got an idea and then something better comes along at the last minute and that's the one that makes the makes the grade and then you guys worked with Mike Klink on that record. And I was curious, too, because obviously he's kind of known from the Guns N' Roses album from Appetite. And I certainly love Duff's sound, the sound of his bass on all those songs and albums. And I wonder if that factored in for you. Like, yeah, I want that same kind of sound. 
No, not really. You know, Megadeth has our own sound. Mike didn't have to do that much producing, quite honestly, because the songs were done. Again, we did that first round of demoing in late 88. We then spent all of 1989 writing the rest of the record. Nick Menza came into the band by like summer of 89. So so he was pretty well steeped in the group by the time we cut the tracks. And Nick and I did a lot of bass and drum rehearsals together, just running the tunes as bass and drums, which was really fun. And Marty came in. I don't think we auditioned him until like late January 1990. So, I mean, he was literally in the band, gosh, maybe six weeks before we started cutting, the, maybe two months at the most before we started cutting the, uh, you know, the basic tracks for, for the Rust and Beast record. And quite honestly, you know, Megadeth has its own sound. And so Mike did a really great job of just capturing our sound on tape. I asked him, I'd ask him how, you know, like how Steven and, and Duff cut their, you know, apparently I think they cut those tracks together. They, they recorded those together, which I find impressive that they played that well and that tight together on the Appetite for Destruction record. You yeah. know, that, that shows they, they did their time in the clubs and, you know, they, they really worked well together. And then I, I know Mike had just got done recording uh, the Whitesnake record with Steve Vai and on uh, guitar. And I remember asking him how, how it was recording Rudy Sarzo. And, um, you know, he said Rudy was a great player and knew his parts and obviously much different music than actually what we were doing at Rustin For Beach. sure, for sure. Because I was getting like two songs a day and I was go, man, I feel like I'm like falling behind here. Like I should be doing better than this. And he goes, man, I mean, listen, listen to what you're playing. I mean, <laughs> and not only that, listen to how much top end and clarity is in the space. I mean, it's not like it's distorted. And if you can, you know, there's some rough edges that sort of forgive any performances. I mean, you, you really have to nail with perfect execution, every single note and everything about it. You know, I, again, I was young, you know, and I wasn't intimidated to be in the studio. We'd made a lot of records by that point, but still, you know, you're kind of always benchmarking it against your peers a little bit you know so yeah. you know obviously look the, the appetite record is amazing you know mike did a great job on it but i think the record that really caught me and dave and marty friedman's attention with clink was that he engineered the ufo strangers in the night record yeah he mixed that record under uh, he worked under rod nevison who was the producer you know so we, we were bugging him for michael shanker stories like, come on <laughs> tell us some stories about ufo <laughs> you know so um you know we're all fans right yeah, absolutely. Last couple of things here, Dave, for you, and I appreciate all the time. And I was kind of curious, uh, interesting to uh, ponder this. If someone, say a kid here is, you know, one of the, the new Ellison tunes on the radio and, and discovers Megadeth through Ellison, and a kid came up to you at a show, say one of these concerts you have coming up, and, and he doesn't know anything about Megadeth, would you point him towards Rust in Peace, say, hey, if you really want to learn about Megadeth, would you point him towards Rust in Peace or would you point him towards Countdown or a different album? Or what, what would you suggest to someone who had never heard Megadeth before? You know, that's a great question. And and it's funny, you know what? I usually kind of size that person up. I'll ask them a few questions. It's like, well, what else do you like? You know, and they're like, oh, I'm really into Ben Sevenfold, no, no, you know, or if it's like some, maybe it's a girl fan, you know, and they're like, I don't know, I kind of like, uh, you know, I like Guns N' Roses, and, you, know, you know, like that person I'd probably aim toward Risk. down down to extinction or euthanasia, you know, like some little shredder dude. Um, <laughs> I'd probably point him, yeah, right at Rust in Peace, maybe, uh, you know, Dystopia, um, you know, which has got a pretty fat sound to it and a lot of shredding and everything. But yeah, you know, good question because, you know, I kind of like to get a little background on somebody, you know, if they've never been exposed to heavy metal, Rust in Peace is certainly a good education. <laughs> there you have it, you know. Hey, is it true that, that uh, first 
five string metal recorded bass ever? Did you were you the first to do that in metal? The first five string that I recorded was actually in Countdown to Extinction, and here's just a, a minute of the backstory in that. So when we cut Rust in Peace, five string basses were starting to come onto the market, but they were for a very different player. It was mostly for, you know, a Mariah Carey, you know, R&B and pop music. And that music is real clean and doesn't have a lot of big guitars, obviously, so you can really hear the detail of the bass, right? So uh-huh. it's a, it, you record that kind of thing much differently. So here we are in heavy metal, just ripping and thrashing and obviously playing 100 miles an hour, where the note doesn't really get a chance to breathe, and you're just kind of really constantly striking and attacking the string, right? The one song I wanted to record in a low D, because the song is in D, is the song Hanger 18. And I didn't have a five-string. Me, In fact, me and Mike Clink, we let that, that was the last song I recorded on the Rest in Peace record. We cut all the other tracks, and then we drove around L.A. and went to the music stores one day trying to find a bass that we thought we could record Rust in Peace with, and we couldn't find one. Uh, they just nothing that sounded like the tone we had. And so what I did is I, and, you know, keep in mind, this is pre-Alice in Chains and, you know, all the guys that were, you know, kind of the drop-tune kings, right? And so I, I just took my E string and I, I dropped it down a whole step and I just kind of relearned the part on the fly. And then in the back half of the tune, when I don't need the drop tuning anymore, I, I tuned back up to E and then we punched in and I, I cut the back half of the song. So I did it all on a four string. Wow. But then once the record was done, I called Jackson Guitars, who I was working with, you know, building my instruments. And I went, "Uh uh-oh, like, I got a problem. Like, we got an album coming out (laughs) a few months or I'm going on tour and I need a five-string bass. And so they created for me that that Jackson five-string bass, that black one that I I played, you know, a lot through that that era. So I toured with that through Rest in Peace. And then I, I went in and I recorded the Countdown record with that. So through the 90s, you know, was that, that was kind of, and quite honestly, I think that Jackson, that was certainly the first heavy metal five string bass ever invented, you know, so it was, you know, cool to be part of the Jackson story with that being part of my heritage and the Megadeth legacy. Yeah, and, and, and a song that you had to play that basically your rest of your life, you know, one of the biggest songs of your career it ended up being on. Exactly. And then, you know, like on Countdown, I use it like an ashes in your mouth. I think the little breakdown section in, um, in Countdown to Extinction where there's the little Japanese girl doing the narration, you know, and I go down to like hit a low, I don't know, low D or something in there. So, yeah, I started to use, you know, five string all the time. And, you know, that's why mostly that's what I play live because we go back and forth between four and five string songs the whole night. And I just, I like the consistency and see the tone it's it's sort of like you know put your put your pants on and go you know <laughs> keep one base on and go so i appreciate all the time david last two things for you real quick i just want to know we don't have to expand on it but i just want to know that there is more a and a to come because i love you and frankie and the music you make well thank you i will let him know that as well in fact yesterday um you know paulo from sepultura owns a bar over in amsterdam called the bro 2 i think it is and we're on tour with uh Slash was kind enough to take us, so Slash and Miles, he took us on tour with them across Europe for a couple of weeks uh, in January 2019, so almost two years ago now. And and that was a great way to launch that, that record that me and Frank had, the Altitude and Attitude record, and we played acoustic at, at Paolo's bar there. And I just saw it pop up yesterday on our social media, and, and it was fun because, you know, that's the kind of band we could go into a little bar like that and whip out some acoustic guitars and sit and play our repertoire acoustic. There, we had a lot 
of flexibility with that. It was a lot of fun. You know, for Frank and I, it was nice to step away from the fresh metal assault and <laughs> just do something a little different, you know. And But yeah, you know, we, we are scheduled as of right now to be on the Monsters of Rock cruise in February. But, you know, no word on that. I kind of assuming that could move, <laughs> you yeah. know, depending on, you know, pandemic matters here, of course. So, but, you know, we're scheduled to be on it. We'll see where that goes. Maybe that just turns into live streams. I don't know what that, what that is, but uh, the idea around that was that we uh, might try to get together and write another tune at least just to, you know, put something up digitally. Of course, this year, you know, kind of locked everybody down. And I think Frank's working on a solo record. I think he's kind of doing something on his own, which I, I think is great, you know. And I'd like to think maybe the A&A record was kind of helping him in a step in that direction so he can you know we all need to kind of find our own voice and have our own little moment to create away from our bands and and i think that helps us come back to our band stronger and healthier yeah exactly get to exercise some different muscles and and learn some different things too i'm sure working with other people makes you more rounded and learn little different things and ideas and tricks and tips and every little last thing last question i have for you david i have recently fallen in love with cold brew and got a setup now at home to do some cold brew and i'm curious what what's the best cold brew bean from ellison coffee what would be the best one you would suggest to to do a cold brew on I don't know. Are you are you a lighter coffee guy, or do you tend to trend toward the darker roasts? What do you like? I'm not big into like the dark French roast. I'm more I'm a probably medium roast guy. Yeah, got it. I mean, look, I think our ro- our roast in peace, which is a it's considered a dark, but it's it's a mild dark. If you had to compare it to a Starbucks, I think it sits probably somewhere in about a, a Sumatra, you know, uh, grade somewhere in there. And so, look, I think those always work for anything. If you want to go a little lighter, have a little more caffeine, try our Rock and Rose because that's slightly lighter. And and also because of the nature of the beans, it actually has a little more caffeine to it. So if you're looking for that early morning kick, I'd say go with the Rock and Rose. I love it. I'm going to get some after this call. Appreciate all the time. Hey, thanks, dude. Good, good to chat, Mike. See you, buddy. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now do me a favor and subscribe to it. Radioactive Mike Z, available on all the major platforms. And while you're at it, follow me on Instagram at MikeZ967, and I'll follow you back, bro. Most importantly, don't miss the show, Wired in the Empire, every Saturday night, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on 96.7 KCAL Rocks.